Episode 91 of The Night Shift as we break down a couple of losses on a weekend for the London Knights. 5-1 to Mississauga, 7-5 in Saginaw. And while it has Knights fans scratching their heads, we hear from Knights assistant coach Dylan Hunter about what the coaching staff saw against Mississauga and what they saw against Saginaw. So that is coming up. We are also going to tell some teddy bear toss stories on the show today because the next night's game will be their teddy bear toss game. We'll hear from Lee Cunningham and we'll discuss how things have been going for the Sarnia Sting. They've been going through a bit of a rough patch. They were on a seven-game losing streak. They ended that and then Kitchener spoiled their teddy bear toss game. But the teddy bear toss game in Sarnia had a twist to it. The Sarnia Sting did score a goal in the game, but the Bears came down without a goal being scored. How does this happen? Well, we'll get to that later on in the show. You can follow us on our socials at Kyle Grimard, G-R-I-M-A-R-D, at Stubbs980. That's Stubbs with two Bs. Kyle, how are things? Uh, I mean, if you follow me on my feed right now, you'll be seeing a lot of Green Bay Packers stuff. And in total fairness, uh, <laughs> a they big look good. the Chiefs. They look good. Those Packers, yeah. they and their remaining schedule is so weak. If they don't head into the playoffs with an eight-game winning streak going, something will have gone wrong. They should have won eight in a row heading into the playoffs. Yeah, but uh, that's been the feed so far. But it will get back to a lot of uh, of Knights content, of course, uh, coming off the weekend. You know, it's it was a... Um, it was a bit of a reality check for the Knights because, you know, they came in, Mike, against two teams playing very well. Of course, Saginaw and Mississauga, both teams, um, you know, riding pretty high and was a good test, a litmus test to see where London stood in regards. And listen, good games against Mississauga. Saginaw was a back and forth battle as well. But you called both games in the booth, one at home, one on the road. What is something that you took away from both matchups? There were times when mistakes were made, and it seemed mistakes wound up to goals by the other team, and there weren't a lot of them. And I think maybe Dylan Hunter, Knights assistant coach, looked at that after the game against Saginaw because it wasn't that the Knights played bad against the Spirit. It wasn't that they played bad against Mississauga. In fact, after the first period against Saginaw, we looked and said, you know what, this feels like the game against the Guelph Storm that the Knights ended up with a 4 nothing win in. And maybe we shouldn't have said that out loud on the air because then Saginaw came tearing out. And this is a team that has an awful lot of offensive firepower, and it became a battle of power plays for a little while. The power plays in that game, and we'll talk about the Knights' power play, which over the last six games is clicking at 66.6%. That's ridiculous. So the power play, nothing wrong there. Defensively, yeah, teams are finding ways to get to the net and put the puck in the net against the London Knights, and it doesn't quite make sense. And we'll get to a thought by Dylan Hunter in just a moment, but he also weighed in on the fact that this wasn't you know, 60 minutes of things going wrong. It, it was the here and there. You know, you kind of have to go look back at it and, you know, humble yourself a little bit in that sense it's uh you know some guys 18 year old guys 19 year olds in some situations that we think maybe just got away from a little bit experience wise so you know just kind of look back at that uh you know wasn't that it was 60 minutes we got outplayed it was 20 minutes here and 15 minutes there and so you can look back at what led to that and uh and why we got ourselves in that situation Knights assistant coach dylan hunter so the good news about that is you can fix it you address the things that are going wrong and it's not like, well, the system isn't working or the players aren't good enough or anything like that. You just have to find those spots. 
Yeah, and you know, I think the one takeaway, Mike, specifically that I noticed in the game on Friday in Mississauga was right when the Knights were starting to make a push or trying to fight back to get in the game, being down a goal, being down two goals, penalties, penalties that they took, whether it was 200 feet from their own net or just getting beat in their own zone at times where they should have been the ones pushing the play. And, you know, I think that it's, it's been rare that that's happened this year, but I think that was the big takeaway and maybe playing against a team who is near the top of their division. That is something that the Knights have to work on to adjust and being able to take control of the game, whether it's the big guys, whether it's rolling out different line combinations, whatever the case may be. We've seen the hunters go into their bag of tricks and do stuff like that before. But I think what I noticed when, when the Knights were slowly starting to push back a little bit, they find themselves in penalty travel, put themselves in the box. Mississauga was able to capitalize. That actually allowed them to take a two-goal lead, and London was really never never really able to recover from that. And I know fans left the building on Friday night because we heard from some of them, and they were wondering about some of the penalty calls. The thought by any fans who were sitting behind the Mississauga net in the second period was that Sam Dickinson tried to get out of the way of goaltender Ryerson Leanders and got a penalty. And then Easton Cowan, a little later on, took a whack at Leander's glove and got a penalty. And those were questioned. And, I mean, the officiating is the officiating. And that's the way it always is. And no official is ever out to get a team. If they are, they'll be found out and they won't be officiating anymore. So it's not something that the Knights are looking at. It's not something that they go, well, you know, the, the officiating got us last night. No, it's there were things that happened in the game that got them. There were turnovers at key times. There was a turnover that allowed Xander Vecchia to score a goal point blank. And those are the things that you can't have. And that's the stuff that I think Dylan Hunter was talking about and looking at the the little things and that some of the more experienced players are are having you know a little trouble or or maybe a mental lapse every once in a while and that's something that they will dig out of because they are the older experienced players and they're excellent players but for those two games yeah there were things that went wrong that didn't go right and that's why you wind up with two losses instead of two wins and there's not much to do about that so they're going through a, a little more adversity but we had talked with Jake Grimes last week the associate coach of the Saginaw Spirit and we asked him the question what is it that you want to see if you're building for a big run and in their case if you're building to play in the Memorial Cup and and he said you don't want an easy season. You do not want an easy season. You want as much adversity. You want things to go wrong. You want to be challenged. And he looked at the London Knights game, both the one that they played and the one that is coming up, and said those are two games that they have circled because they know that they will be tough. And good on Saginaw for being able to battle back. The Knights led that game two to nothing at the end of the first period. And then Saginaw came out and they made it two, two. The Knights went ahead again and Saginaw is relentless. And that is a quality you have to have to be at least competitive in the Memorial cup, because everybody coming at you is going to be relentless. Good on the spirit for doing that. They're a team of course, hosting the mem cup and they, those are attributes. Those are characteristics of a team that, Listen, you're going to be playing the best of the best. You've got to be able to show resiliency. You've got to be able to come back from games when you're losing because not every game is going to go perfect or according to plan. And, and these are definitely games like that the Knights can learn from. But there were positives. And I think the biggest takeaway for the Knights from the two games was their power play. Their power play right now is, I feel like on fire doesn't even do it justice because it has been <laughs> almost automatic. 
Well, let's look at some of these numbers, really. And this is something that has helped the team in the past. And now when you look again at the options they have, Oliver Bonk had another goal. The little move that they have where the puck goes from the left side of the ice to the right side of the ice into the right corner and out front, when they are having that work, it's it's hard for the team defending it to follow it, let alone stop it. And so against Saginaw, they were three for three on the power play. And Saginaw was two for three. So the two teams combined to be five for six. It was a specialty teams clinic by the power plays. And, and it should have been. Those two power plays rank number one and number two in the OHL right now. Against Mississauga, the Knights were one for two. Then you go back to last weekend, the Knights scored three goals on four chances against Barry. Of their two goals that they scored against Sudbury, one was on the man advantage, three for four against North Bay, and then going back to the game against Erie, they were one for three. So in their last six games, they are now 12 for 18. That is 66%. And this was after a time, and this is the weird part about sports. Kyle, what were we talking about before that? The Knights could not seem to purchase a power play goal. Hi, I'll have a hot dog and a Coke and maybe a power play goal. They couldn't do it. Concessions, <laughs> nowhere. They could not find one. And now this power play is as unstoppable as any power play in the OHL. Well, and it's funny too, when they did get their power plays, they looked like th- there's so much talent on the units. And I think they were just trying to decide what's option one, what's option two, and what's option three. And I think once the Knights figured that out, of where, where they move the puck around, where their first look is to go to, they know where that is now. And when that's not there, then they go to look two. And when that's not there, they go to look number three. And I feel like they now have priorities into what they're looking for on the power play. And they're executing at an incredibly high rate. Again, I I can't remember the last time a 60-plus percent power play over any stretch of games was common, even in the OHL or in the CHL in general. But it's uh, it's been a lot of fun to watch, and that's been a real bright spot for them over the last however many games now. And now it's about fixing up what's going on defensively. And and we've seen what the Knights can do. Those games against Guelph, they've, they've got a bottle Guelph. We're about to see the World Junior camp roster announced for Team Canada. And you can expect Casper Haltonen to be going and playing for Finland. Will any Knights get an invite to Team Canada's camp? You've got a lot of youngsters at the same time. You've got Isaiah George and Jackson Edward, who are 19. But Denver Barkey and Easton Cowan and Oliver Bonk are only 18. Would they still get an invite? Sam Dickinson is just 17. Could he get an invite? So those questions are there. And... That's on the minds of the players, certainly, too, as they want to find out whether or not they're going to get that opportunity. And then after that, you've got a trade freeze that comes up pretty quick because the last games in the regular season before the break are December 17th. And here we are. We're recording this on December 4th. And then that trade freeze takes you right up to the last 10 days before the trade deadline. So things start moving quickly, and then it's the second half, and and then everybody's kind of jostling to get themselves going. So lots of things to happen between now and, let's call it, December 17th. Well, and speaking about closer, you know, Mike, Teddy Bear Toss game right around the corner, and it's always memorable when it's at Budweiser Gardens here in London. And I feel like you've been a part of a lot of really memorable ones or even ones that you've been able to witness or seen throughout other other teams other other events um 
you know, I, I'm very excited about it, of course, all going towards local charities here in London. But let's just talk about, Mike, the teddy bear toss games, some of the more memorable ones that you have been a part of or have witnessed. Well, probably 2004 would be one of the most memorable because it helped to create a new rule. It was the Knights and the Guelph Storm, and there was so much attention on that team. The Knights at that point had not lost a game in 2004. That was the team of the century, and they played the Guelph Storm, and they played against Adam Dennis, who always came up big against the Knights. Maybe it's one of the reasons why they would, later that season, acquire Adam Dennis, and then he came up big for the London Knights. And so Adam Dennis pitched a shutout. Ryan McDonald was tremendous at the other end of the ice pitched a shutout for the London Knights, and it was 0-0. And that was as memorable as it gets because at the end of regulation, nobody really know, knew what to do. And Do we throw the Bears now? They actually had to have an announcement to throw the Bears and then clean them up and then finish things up in what ended up being a 0-0 tie. And I guess that was the Knights' second tie. So that was... That was it. They had they had tied once before that, and they ended up setting a record that night, but it was a teddy bear toss night as well. So that was pretty memorable. Uh, the record happened in 2012. Seth Griffith scored the goal, and that was 10,671, and you could really wow. tell that was a record. The world record, by the way, has just been broken again by Hershey. It's now 67,000. 309 teddy bears in a single game. They had set a record of 52,000 plus. Well, it's now 67,309. So if you haven't seen the video of that, now Hershey will allow fans to drop them off and then they are tossed at the game. So it's not like 67,309 were brought into the venue all at once, but a lot of them were. And congratulations to them. They've really embraced it in that community. Edmonton and Calgary continue to have huge teddy bear tosses because it sells out games in NHL rinks, and you get a toss that way. So if you want to watch some teddy bear toss goals, Hershey, Edmonton, and Calgary are the ones to Google, Kyle. It's good good for the soul, good for the spirit, and you get to watch just the teddy bears rain down. I, Mike, I feel like there's a story, though, that we're going to remember for years to come that just happened in the OHL in Sarnia. <laughs> yes, the Sarnia Sting <laughs> had their teddy bear toss game on Sunday, December 3rd, and this has happened a couple of times. I think there are stories of the post being hit in Erie a couple of times. There was a story of a big game in Spokane, and then it happened for the Sarnia Sting, because if you think about it, Kyle, who has the most pressure on them in a teddy bear toss game? You'd say, well, it has to be each one of the players because one of them has to ultimately score the goal that brings down all the toys that can be collected for charity and handed out. In London's case, it's the Salvation Army and a lot of kids who may not have a lot of reasons to smile right now, get a reason to smile. So it's it's a pretty incredible event. But who has the most pressure on them? Uh, not a player. Not a player. How about the goal judge? Because in Sarnia, 
There was a huge save, but the goal judge thought that it went in or it was close, flicked on the red light, and without a goal being scored, all of the Bears came down. And somebody who was at that particular game is Lee Cunningham, the voice of the Sarnia Sting. Lee, take us back to that moment and what was going on. Uh, basically, Tristan Malbuff kind of stole the show. Uh, the goaltender for the Kitchener Rangers uh, coming up with a save in a play that was in tight uh, from an angle. I think the goal judge might have been under the interpretation that it was a goal and uh, the one that triggers the Bears. And by the time uh, the sticks uh, came down from the players of the Sarnia Sting and the goal judge perhaps realized his error, uh, it was a little too late. You couldn't bring it back. But, uh, hey, you know, with one of these teddy bear tosses, sometimes it's not a perfect science. And at the end of the day, a lot of area kids that are in need are going to have a much better Christmas because of the gesture and the patronage of the fans and their generosity. But, yeah, it was a little bit of a misadventure. I can't lie. There's the key, though. This could easily have been started as offside bears, and the first offside of the game could have brought down the bear. It doesn't matter, Lee, how they get there. It just matters that they get there, right? Well, well, that is absolutely right, and I'm hoping for a more smooth operation tomorrow night when we're in town now for the first time at Budweiser Gardens. We'll see what happens. Lee, let's talk a little bit about the Sarnia Sting. Off to a great start this year and then went through some tough sledding over the last month or so. Yeah, you're right. An 8-5 and five start, which I think surprised a lot of people based on the attrition from last year. I mean, a good percentage of their scoring obviously graduated when you looked at, uh, you know, Ty Void, who was a finalist as most outstanding player, 50-goal shooter, Nolan Burke, uh, Sasha Pastajov, Ethan Del Mastro. I mean, the list just went on and on for this hockey club. Luca Del Belbalou. So uh, the, the hockey club knew that they were going to have to manufacture scoring. And, you know, they did get off to that very good start. But I think there's somewhere in between that seven-game losing streak that ended the other night against the uh, Brantford Bulldogs and that eight-and-five start. There's a lot of youth in that lineup, but I think there's somewhere in between. But one thing you can count on is work ethic each and every night. Uh, they're giving up some experience in areas, quite obviously, due to age. But at the same time, uh, you know, they sign up for the full 60 minutes every night. Talk to us a little bit about the additions of Jacob and Andrew LeBlanc. You just mentioned Andrew LeBlanc celebrated what he thought was a goal. <laughs> Down came all the teddy bears. But what they've meant, and you look at knowing you'd lose as many players as you just listed, and then picking up these two veterans, twin brothers, to help yeah. fill some of that. Well, I think both these players are looking uh, for a fresh start, obviously leaving Niagara. And uh, I remember Andrew LeBlanc admitted to me in an interview, you know, our OHL careers haven't maybe gone as well as we anticipated statistically, having started with the Kitchen Rangers. But boy, they're making up for lost time. Uh, Jacob LeBlanc has been among the assist leaders uh, at the defense position in the OHL all season long. And Andrew has had some key nights as well. Uh, they've been big additions. And they went out and got Duncan Schneider from Kingston to help fortify a very young blue line. A lot of nights, they're 16 and 17-year-olds playing and shouldering significant minutes for this hockey club. And Kai Schwind, who was, he was playing uh, down in the ECHL for Florida, the Everblades, uh, he comes back for an overage season, giving the team a little grit, a little size up front, and a little bit of attitude. And uh, those veterans are very key based on uh, the overall age average of this hockey club. Finally, in goal, you never want to look at numbers on a very young team for a goaltender, but 
Nick Surzicha and Carson Chartier. Tell us about how things have gone for them. Surzicha in particular this year. Have the Sting found a goalie that you expect to see around for a long time? Well, you know, Nick Serzitia has made an abundance of just outstanding saves this year. But, you know, sometimes it's the volume of the saves. And you're up against these skilled teams like yesterday against the Kitchener Rangers. I mean, this is a team that's scoring a will right now. I mean, Carson Raykoff, he's got 29 goals in 28 games. And that's just, uh, you know, scratching the surface. Again, they're the last line of defense. You've got so much youth on that back end. But Nick Serzitia... He comes up with some very memorable saves. And Carson Charche is a goaltender the organization likes very much. Uh, he's got good size. He's athletic. He's just trying to get the mechanics and uh, the technique of the position a little bit more refined. And, and that's true of a lot of young goaltenders. So that's by no means a knock. But, uh, you know, there's depth at the position. And uh, they're going to say a lot about whether this hockey club is able to uh, scratch enough wins out of the remainder of the season to uh, get into the playoffs because – uh, the teams ahead of them are not looking like they're going to be overly accommodating. So uh, they're going to have to manufacture wins and uh, maybe get a little help from others in terms of the teams that are just ahead of them. The Western Conference continues to be as tough as the Western Conference always is. Lee, one of those two goaltenders is the goaltender the Knights are going to have to try and find a way to score on to bring down the teddy bears. Thanks so much for the time. Anytime, Mike. Uh, glad to do it and look forward to getting back to London. That is Lee Cunningham of the Sarnia Sting on what the Sting have been going through. It's been a tough patch for them. There have not been a lot of wins. One in their last nine games. And now they come into London, part of the battle of the 402, that what we call the Finch Cup is on the line, the season series between the Knights and the Sting, and the Sting lead it two points to none right now with five games remaining in it. So this is a game, Kyle, that both teams, the London Knights and the Sarnia Sting, basically need to win, and that sets it up That sets it up just the way you'd want it to be. Yeah, and you know, it, they're get-right games for each team, and I think, I think both teams are going to bring – some of their best that they've had all year. I think Sarnia is really trying to break out of something. I think London too wants to get back on track. I really think that that Mark and Dale took the rest of the weekend Saturday or Sunday and Monday and and maybe put in a, a game plan or maybe even challenge some of the players, maybe the older guys, just to listen, guys. We're kind of still figuring things out. We're now almost we're through in December. This is where we need to start churning things out because. We got the dog days of the season ahead in January, February, where there's a lot of back-to-backs. There's lots of travel, and you know it doesn't feel like there's a lot of breaks. So going into the holiday break, you know, I think I think both teams want to get themselves on the right path here. So this gets set up for a very fun matchup, Mike. Let's hope we get at least a goal. Well, I think we will. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's rare that you see that zero-zero game. Yeah. So I think we've already seen one of those in. I think we've already seen our one of those in Knights history. Here's hoping we don't have to try and figure that out. But now, just in case you're wondering, the rule was changed thanks to that game where if the home team has not scored after the second period or even halfway through the third, you will see an announcement and then down come the toys. And thank you to all of the people who sit in maybe the first 10 rows because they catch stuffed toys in bags, sometimes with the sides of their head, and they then take them and put them onto the ice. So thank you for all of the work that you do. It is a workout 
for anybody who is in that situation. And that's what will be taking place at Budweiser Gardens on December 5th as the Knights take on the Sarnia Sting. And the schedule the rest of the way for the Knights is not easy. They're home to Saginaw. Then they're off to Sault Ste. Marie. Then they will play at Windsor and then come right back home the next night to take on an Owen Sound team that's really piecing it together. And then they play the Sudbury Wolves to close things out. And Sudbury's a high-powered team. Then you get the holiday break. And as we've talked about in the past, this is a time when we have to realize we're dealing with teenagers and keeping that focus can be tough sometimes on both sides of the ice through these games. So that'll be a goal and getting the Knights back on track, getting into a groove. That'll be a goal as well. It should be a lot of fun, Mike. We'll break down the, uh, the Teddy Bear Toss game on the next episode of the pod, get you ready for the weekend as well. And then follow us wherever you uh, get your podcasts, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Follow us on socials as well. Mike, we will see you Tuesday, and we'll be back here, I believe, Thursday for the next episode. Sounds great.